What's up, everybody? It's been an action-packed show for you today. Physio Friday. Uh, we're going to have none other than switched-on physio Phil White joining us in a moment. He's just uh, cycled across the country. And uh, uh, on the other side, pull that curtain for us, man. Um, yeah, he's just uh, cycled, so you had to come in and have a quick shower. But he's here, and uh, we're going to be answering a bunch of questions. I'll show, I'll share with you whose questions, who's the lucky people up first. We got a uh, question from Michael Forrester on wrist pain that is going to uh, be answered. And then we've got a question from uh, Vinnie Brown about his hip flexor that we're going to answer. And we also have a question from, where is she? Sonia. Where's Sonia's question? Let me just see if I can bring it up. Sonia Valentine. Uh, and her question is related to some back pain, sciatica. Uh, so why don't we first start with Michael? Um, why don't we first do a normal intro? Oh, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Let's do that. Hi, everyone. In case we haven't met, my name's Rad Burmeister. I'm the co-founder of Unity Gym. I'm joined today by my brother, Yanni Burmeister, and by our resident physiotherapist, Phil White. We are the creators of the Unity of Unity Gym, founders of Unity Gym, and the creators of the UMS, the Unified Movement System, where we turn driven people into superhumans. If you want to know how we do it, grab one of our blueprints as the flexibility blueprint, the strength blueprint, and the nutrition blueprint. You can get it for free, and that's going to give you some great insight into our programming. And even better, if you're listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, Come and join our private Facebook group, the UMS Movement Mastermind, where we record these podcasts live and answer questions as people ask them. How are you, Phil? Yeah, good. Uh, feeling a bit like mini-me in the back on the video. Uh, yeah, we're trying to work that out. Eye, so. yeah, anybody that's <laughs> watching, okay. it is a fisheye. Uh, Phil's actually at least as tall as me. I think um, I'm the tallest here, aren't I? I think you are. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Phil's got about two that's centimeters fine. on me. But it's uh, the guns, man. It's the yeah, guns. Check that these, that <laughs> check these puppies out. No, but uh, so stoked to have these beautiful mics in front of me. It's uh, yeah. really something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a different experience. Level up. Yep. It is, isn't yep. it? Unreal. It is. And yeah. you're feeling a little bit sick this morning. Yeah, it's I just woke weird. up with crazy reflux and that really uh, slowed down my morning um, and made my cycle. Uh, well, I wasn't planning on cycling, but I ended up cycling. It was very uncomfortable, but here I am. Uh, <laughs> I love the so fact that you, you wake up not feeling good in the stomach and you decide to cycle. Like yeah, it turns kilometers? out that, like, yeah, boring <laughs> things about cars not being where I thought they were and, and oh, buses not running uh, at the same schedule as they used to pre-corona times. So I that's fine. See. Cycled here. And, uh, there you go. go. There you go. We're ready for Physio Friday. <laughs> Look what we go through to bring this show to you guys live. Guys, yeah. you're very lucky. Here it is. <laughs> so, um, get your, first and foremost, I want to say anyone who tunes in live, please get questions in. If you've got any questions for Phil, please do so and uh, get them in the comments section. We will work through as many questions as possible. We've got a couple of bangers to start off with from people who have got in this week. And uh, I think we might start with Michael Foster. So I will, um, Michael, I'm very sorry if I'm pronouncing your surname wrong. It looks like it might be Forster. Uh, I will read this out and uh, build some context and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll go with uh, Phil straight away because you may as well hear it from the person who's probably most educated on this first. So Michael's saying, hi all. I started doing rehab for golfer's elbow based off Unity Gym YouTube videos. I was having really good success, but then ended up getting decurvines, tendinos, can you pronounce it? Tenosynovitis. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm not Pain ready, in cool. the snuff box yeah. region, which is a sort of area, if you, if you flex your thumb there, it's kind of the base of the thumb, almost where it joins the wrist. Um, Rad and I had a good laugh about the snuff box yes. last week. Yeah, Apparently yeah. it's not sexual. Um. Yeah, in, bo in both <laughs> hands due to all the wrist work I was doing that apparently my hands weren't ready for. It's been 1.5 months and I know you need to load the tendon and build up tolerance, but I am struggling to gain any traction in my rehab. Trying radial deviation and opening a rubber band in my hand, mainly isometrics and eccentrics as concentrics really bother it any advice would be greatly appreciated love the unity gym content and appreciate everything you are doing thanks michael yeah um to start off with i just got to get my regular um kind of uh 
a little disclaimer out there that again we're we're cho- uh, the thing I really want to get across is is giving you guys ways of understanding things and questions to ask a professional if you do see them. If it is me online, that's one thing. But um, again, this isn't like specific medical advice for you, but a bit of information about decorvines generally. So apply it as you see fit. Um, so just have to get that out there. But um, yeah, I, th- I really like that you've been so proactive in trying to sort this out yourself. And if it is, um, I'd be interested to know with if you have had uh, a Dr. Google diagnosis of um, the decorvines or if it's actually... Um, been diagnosed by someone um, as Decoervines, but with Decoervines, uh, you, you're really trying, uh, I like that you're trying to be proactive here, but you're kind of missing the point with Decoervines because the difference here with um, atenocytovitis is what Decoervines in is quite different to a tendinopathy. So we've talked a lot about tendinopathies before, um, but atenocytovitis um, is a whole nother kettle of fish and it needs a different rehab response. So um, instead of loading this tendon, what we actually want to do is deload it. Because what a tendonocytovitis is, it's the connective tissue sheath that runs around the tendon. So you can kind of think of it like the, um, the it's like a, a, a lubricating sort of s- substance which helps um, the tendon move across bony prominences without getting, um, uh, I guess, friction. friction exactly. Yeah. So uh, what's happened is this sort of synovial sheath has actually got irritated. And so then every time you go and put it through movement, you're getting excessive rubbing through there. And when you get an inflamed uh, tenocytovitis, so sorry, the inflamed synovial sheath, it gets bigger, therefore takes up a bit more space and then moving it um, will kind of continue to aggravate it more and more. So it's a uh, tricky one because what you've got to do is try and reintroduce load to the area while kind of taking away that friction. So uh, what needs to be done is, is, is more around, um, there's actually like splinting is often quite often used in, in, tenons, um, in decoervines um, as a way of just forcefully like immobilizing for a while just to let it settle down. Um, and this is a time where, you know, you'd look at potentially, you know, talking to a doctor about anti-inflammatory sort of stuff, potentially using ice, but again, work with a professional on this. Um, and then yeah really sticking to just isometrics so if you do still want to maintain your sort of upper body strength and stay in the workouts um you know it'll be as like you'll have to kind of go about it in trying to keep your wrist in the most neutral position as possible and and minimizing um thumb movement so it's really it's a really tricky one yeah uh, it sounds you like can't, it. it's not just like train through and you'll be right it's like every time you're putting it through these like so, so is the answer to 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 let it rest, un, like opposite to ten, ten, uh, tendinosis, uh, tendinopathy, or um, is it to? Because uh, we often say that anti-inflammatories is not a good idea anymore because you yeah, want that so process you, to have taken its course. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So it's a um, it's a tricky one because if you're like it's kind of inflamed, so this thing that didn't take up much space is now taking up more space. So when it takes up more space, it's easier to aggravate it. And so it kind of goes into this like cycle of aggravation where because it's bigger, it's easier to aggravate. And it's sort of, unless you give it relative rest and some way of getting that inflammation down, uh, it's sort of hard to get back into doing things without aggravating it. So again, it's best to work in terms of using anti-inflammatories. You want to work with a medical professional, so GP on this. Um, physio is kind of in like, tell someone to take anti-inflammatories that's yeah, beyond our scope right. so really it is something that you'd want to talk to them about um but obviously there's so much you can do for inflammation in your body that's not related to medication so really doubling down on you know your sleep your stress management your nutrition um you know looking at dietary things you can supplement like not necessarily supplements but you know anti-inflammatory sort of um like green tea or something like that where you can yep. um Fish oil is yeah, all of that help. sort of stuff yep. can help with that systemic inflammation, which might uh, help it out. But yeah, really, it does come down to relative rest and, and avoiding the aggravating movements, which is in this case basically like yeah, lots of, like thumb movements and, and wrist movements. So if you're spending a lot of time on a mouse or like playing computer games, um, yep. that's probably going to be aggravating. Can yep. you still snuff the box? And you're, uh... <laughs> waiting for Rad to add something really intellectual <laughs> to that yeah. conversation, you know, or to just bring it back down to the level that most of us play at. All right, um, Michael. Well, look, um, Blakely, Blakely actually commented um, uh, uh, quite generally here and said, you know, I can't comment on your rehab options and stuff like that, but he's sort of gone... Uh, into trying to reduce systemic inflammation, which yeah. is, is which is a like a good option for any injured person, hey. you know. Uh, d- uh, Dr. John Bar- um, Barati from Precision Nutrition, where I've done my only nutrition um, certification and and study, really, he's very big on that. Like when you're injured, 
trying to work on lowering systemic inflammation. There's two types of inflammation. Can you explain that what, quickly? What was the that? difference quickly, between the two? Because I'm going to put it up and put it in the comments. What was that video that you told us to watch on inflammation? That um, like six months ago, uh, you were t you were saying that there was a uh, the um, the the long one from the yeah. um, the yeah, paleo so it's, yeah, yeah not paleo it's, it's not a basically like a high high fat low carb. Uh, why low carb? And I'm not saying that it, you know lo low carb's right for everyone. I think you should kind of match your carb intake with your energy output. Um, that's a whole other whole other discussion. But it's a video of a Dr. Um, Peter Bruckner. Yeah, Peter Bruckner, who yeah. wrote Bruckner and Kahn, which is like the bible of sports medicine. He's yeah. got an Order of Australia um, medal for his contributions to sports science in Australia, and um, he uh, has he was like the Liverpool FC sports doctor, Australian cricket team, like he's done everything. And basically he's given up all of that and Olympics for, you know, years. And now his sole fo uh, focus in life is uh, about reducing sugar and, and carbohydrate intake in people because it's just so linked to inflammatory disorders. Um, oh, yeah, right. I've just, yeah. um, I've just shared the video there. Yeah, it's re really good. I can tell you that personally, my experience with evolution of my body and my health and fitness um, has led me to the, like, I'm always trying to level up. So whatever I'm, whenever I get comfortable with what I'm doing, I think, okay, what am I not doing that I could, you know, now work on that's going to take me to that next level. And for the last several years, maybe, I don't know, two or three years, my big thing has been to reduce inflammation because it's something that I never actively, that I never actively did. I, I never was like, okay, I'm going to try and reduce inflammation. And so the, you know, the first one was sugar, the second one was alcohol, and now I'm looking into dairy. And I can tell you, whatever, you know, th th it is something that is, you know, some people agree with and some people disagree with, but I can tell you from personal experience what it does for my old injuries. When I do eat the foods that are, you know, known for causing uh, inflammation, everything starts to hurt again. And I was just saying this morning on the show, my body feels better than it's felt probably ever yeah. uh, at the moment because of this active reduction in foods that cause inflammation. So, um, yeah, yeah I can... one of the things that like one of the things was a real light bulb moment for uh, Dr. Bruckner working with the Australian cricket team and had a player who they'd done every medical intervention, you know, short and I think they were potentially even doing surgery on this guy's. They had done surgery in this guy's knee, or maybe they were considering it, and uh, basically they. Uh, this, this cricket player who got a bit fat decided to um, do what his sports doctor was doing because the sports doctor had lost a bit of weight. And so uh, Peter was just like, oh, you know, try it out, get, do a low carb. And, you know, that was the end of his knee pain. He was on all these hardcore anti-inflammatories and pain medication that just wouldn't fix it. And then, um, oh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Is that. So obviously that's a, you know, N equals one sort of example, but that's what uh, prompted Peter Brooklyn to explore the science. And that video is, a, it's about 50 minutes, but it's well worth a watch. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but in, back to your question about the different uh, inflammation types. Basically, there's um, acute inflammation versus kind of chronic inflammation. Yeah. They're the, the two big things to consider. And acute inflammation is super useful as a way your body um, deals with you know an acute injury, um, where it, it sort of stimulates all the healing uh, pathways, basically. Um, but yeah, where it starts to become a problem is this kind of like chronic inflammatory yeah. um, process where. It's the systemic inflammation, yeah. which is throughout your entire body, you, you know, basically, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's usually the result of these kind of uh, more lifestyle dysfunctional things. Like, a, yep. you know, it's your body just basically being like, you know, in a constant state of <laughs> yeah. you know, mild injury, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. doesn't resolve. So, yeah. And it's, I just wanted to point that out because we do talk about the fact that it's important to let inflammation take its course when you're injured, when you've got a... Um, uh, an acute inf inflammation caused yes. by an injury, uh, but uh, there is a, you know, there is inflammation in the body that is not a good idea and and not good and can you know can really make it hard for you to overcome um, issues uh, and make you feel like you're just constant in a constant state of compromise. Yeah. You know, cool. And and because uh, I don't know where Michael Forster is tuning in from in the world, but it's quite common in America because of the Western diet. You know, we have this extremely high sugar, processed carbohydrate, sugar and fat diet it's that is one of the major seed causes. oils as well is like a big that, thing yeah. that he talks, it, working talks about as well. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to uh, quickly go to Steve Kavanaugh saying he had Achilles heel, Tino, I was guessing tenosynovitis, and end up with creptus because I trained through the pain. And that's um, just something I wanted to bring up as well. Uh, it's often a misdiagnosed thing with um, people just kind of think everything's an Achilles tendinopathy, um, but there's a differential diagnosis there. So something that uh, you've got to 
get clear as if it is a, a tenosynovitis of the um, plantaris tendon there, which you can, if you just treat like a tendinopathy, if you've just gotten to running, uh, for example, with the uh, lockdown times and you, you've gone out running and you're starting to get heel pain, if you treat a plantaris tenosynovitis like a Achilles tendinopathy um, by doing lots and lots of heel raises, then you're just going to keep aggravating it because, again, it's that um, synovial sheath that is getting aggravated and that's where you really have to move towards um, isometrics and relative rest. So, yeah, yeah it's just really, uh, I think it's important to sort of realise here, like we've talked a lot about tendinopathies here, but understanding that you, like, this is kind of an example of where you need someone who really knows what they're talking about to have to a look diagnose. at you. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, so right. make sure you do get your diagnosis. Yeah, look, there's a, there's a lot you can learn from Dr. Google, but you also got to be really careful because there's a lot, <laughs> a lot goes into the education of someone like Phil who has the ability to diagnose and, the, you know, it is... Uh, it is a it is a science. It is a real skill. I, I I was a mechanical engineer for six years before I was a personal trainer. And one of the big skills that you developed as an engineer is the ability to diagnose issues within a, a motor vehicle or a, a you know a structure or whatever. And it separates you from the masses. You know, it's a it's really really important because you look at a variety of different um, uh, mechanisms and, st and, and and things like that to, to sort of figure it out. And, and it's a funny thing because it's such a valuable skill, but if you're really good at it, become it seems like you're, it's not valuable because you do it quickly. It's yeah. like that kind of yeah, classic plumbing. Exactly uh, right. yeah. <laughs> exactly. where you, you, know, exactly. you can spend a whole day trying to fix something yourself, but if you get <laughs> someone who can fix it in 15 minutes like yeah. and charge you a lot for it, like that's valuable because yeah. they <laughs> yeah, that's know exactly how to, right. to deal with it quickly. So, yeah. All right, let's move on to Sonia. Um, uh, Sonia said, hi, guys. I'm a new member. Joined today because I saw you on YouTube. Thank Thanks, you. Sonia. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome. I'm, I'm 30. Just started recently with strength workouts at home, and I want to improve flexibility and achieve splits one day. I am also someone who's been suffering of uh, sciatica, terrible back pains, and right hip pain. Of course, I'm not flexible, working on it, but recently I started having terrible pain again. Do you guys have any advice for me? Will doing these routines and the 18-minute flexibility program help me out? I realized achieving flexibility is a long-term process for me because the main goal is to actually achieve full body mobility, as I hope that will help me with my sciatica back and right hip pain and gain me strength too from other body goal, for my other body goals, workouts, etc. I want to know if the pain that I will most uh, likely have during this process is a normal pain because I know for sure I will have it. But without exercises, I will not improve my condition for sure. As you mentioned on YouTube, it's hard to make difference between good pain and bad pain. Any advice and tips? I'm uh, so helpful of this. So hopeful of this. Uh, first of all, I w would like to say, um, you know, uh, which I promised we'd talk about a little bit, which is the difference between, you know, the, I guess the uncoupling of certain pain to the actual injury and how that progresses in time how the body um, heals itself and often will make progress, but it's not uh, always illustrated or represented by the level of pain difference, you know? Um, and as, but, and, and so that's something that we, we can give some value to with Sonia, but also, you know, talk about your experiences with this sort of stuff. Uh, Rad and I are always banging the drum of, you know, approaching the body in a holistic fashion where we develop strength and flexibility, you know, really quite evenly. And uh, my um, philosophy or my theory is that your body is really, really good at healing itself so long as you get out of its way and give it the right stimulus in the right dosages, in the right frequencies, manage the load and things like that. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I think uh, sciatica is a really, like, tricky one. It, it's, it's one that often gives people grief for a long time and that's something to kind of get out there straight away. Like it, it's it's often not a quick fix. And I think also sciatica is kind of one of those terms that have made it into the main, like to the general populace of basically like start people just start describing any sort of back of leg slash hip pain as sciatica. And as we sort of talked about just then with tenosynovitis versus um, a tendinopathy, there's a real devil in the detail about how you go around diagnosing um, something like sciatica. So uh, just to give a bit of an example, like with um, pain that you feel in an area that is not necessarily an acute injury, that can happen from nerve like a, a nerve uh, referred pain. It can happen from a joint referred pain. So um, if you have like a, a hip issue, that can sometimes manifest as a, um, you know, buttock pain. It could be a, a pelvic thing. It could be a sacral thing. Like there's just so many uh, 
different areas that can refer pain in different ways and the way that it refer it the way that you experience it so whether it's like a sharp shooting pain whether it's a diffuse sort of pain the like often you'll end up getting out um like a pen and almost like mapping the the spread of the pain that will give us a good idea of where that pain is actually coming from so i'll talk to uh, now about sciatica and, and lower back nervy sort of things but just keep in mind that again it's one of those uh, dr google things that p- happens where people google like i have pain in the back of my leg and therefore they think they have sciatica when they haven't gone through the diagnostic process of figuring it out yep so uh and especially if you do have um, nerve pain that's shooting down past your buttock area, so um, if you're getting pain that's referring down your leg that's related to back movements, I definitely recommend going seeing a physio, um, seeing a medical professional about like strategizing how to get past that. Again, it's not um, the end of the world. Lots of people have, uh, you know, nerve like pain or uh, nerve issues that are totally fine and resolve really well but it's just one of those things where you just want to get uh some some good guidance on when when it does come down to um referring pain so uh because yeah, it really is quite dependent on the on the structure so um in terms of what uh the things to look for with sciatica is is we, we want to try and get exercise and movements that will uh centralize the pain and so the ter- what i mean by centralized is um i'll use my upper body as an example here but basically if i have uh you know, nervy arm pain and I'm getting shooting pain down to my fingertips. Um, and then I do some neck exercises and uh, do, do some strengthening around my, uh, or like, you know, stretches or whatever. And then now I only feel it to my elbow. And that's a really good sign that we're heading in the right direction with the rehab exercises. So if you can do something um, that you notice like, okay, my pain was at my fingertips, now it's my elbow, um, then that's the, the kind of path we want to head down. And that kind of gives us an idea about uh, the movements that are aggravating and the movements that are easing. So, for example, like if uh, you know working into extension is helping centralize the pain, then it's probably you've uh, got a flexion issue. So we want to try and strengthen up extension of the neck. So that's just an example of centralization, and you know that, so that might mean that you kind of build a program around uh, developing extension strength and um, and you know some neck postural sort of stuff. And if that starts to get it up to the shoulder and then eventually back to the neck, that centralization is really good. So um, in how that refers to sciatic pain, if you can um, work with a professional to find the movement pattern that helps centralize that pain, that's a really good start. And then we can try and that gives us information about the things we want to um, sort of strengthen. So if, if for example, lumbar extension um, is quite easing, then potentially it could kind of give us a bit of an idea that, you know, you're spending a lot of time in flexion, maybe uh, sitting on the couch a lot on your laptop because of, you know, Corona times, uh, sitting in that sort of pelvic, um, like posterior tilt with a lot of kind of flexion might be the thing that has sort of set this off and maybe it's working into extension. So that's an example of how you'd you'd go around sort of trying to find the easing pattern and then trying to strengthen that pattern. Um, But when it comes to... um, nerve stuff in the lower back again it and with the goal of flexibility you kind of it's it's quite a tricky thing to do concurrently um in that usually these nervy signals come from like a uh basically an inability to control the passive structures around that area and you're getting uh i guess irritation from uh movements that's not controlled so if we can try and build up control in a small range of motion and then build out from there to uh, then that's going to be the way that you'd progress through rehabbing something like this but the tricky thing is when you're trying to do uh, you know mobility you're trying to get full body mobility and uh, you know like the splits and those kind of goals if you're doing that in a way that you're moving you know into all extreme ranges of motion that's going to make it quite challenging yep yeah okay fantastic so that's quite a lot of information there the other thing to just think about with um nerve stuff and buttock pain is also neural tension as well so i'm not sure if you guys have done like the neural glide sort of neural glides yeah. and flossing yeah exactly yeah. so that could be something to um consider as well if you're trying to move into uh things like the splits you're going into some pretty extreme um you know neural tension there yep. and depending on how much experience and how much like your training age around stretching out your nerves that can be a really uh like a challenging thing that you can just take time so it sounds like you're respecting the process and you're aware that it's going to take a you know a while to to achieve it but yep. yeah it's all about trying to build your strength and control and the um within like you know a small range and then building it from there yeah neural flossing is something that i've done a lot um my hamstrings have been a real problematic area for me mm. a lot of tension there ever since my spinal injury 
that seemed to be the area that just locked down and, and tried to protect movement or prevent movement restriction. And so to open that up has been a, a long, lengthy process that I'm still working on to this day. And I can tell you that I'm 50% better than where I was when I started, but I'm a long way away from someone like Rad, yep. you know. And so one of the, the techniques that I have employed, because I don't, when I go to stretch my hamstrings, I don't feel it in my hamstrings at all. I feel it in the nerves, through my feet, up through my calves, my perennials, yep. in the backs of my knee a little bit, you know. But it's not like a stretch, a nice stretch in the body of my hamstring at all yet, you know. And so I have to really floss the nerves point the toes circle the ankles do all sorts of things to just slowly ease that out so sonia if you if you look up um nerve flossing or um uh what did you call it just Uh, neural tension neural tension uh there's lots and lots of great uh, yeah so especially related to like moving uh keeping going into a stretched position with your with your hips and your your with your hips in flexion, your knees in uh, extension, and then using your uh, your head and your your feet to basically control the the tension within your nerves. And I'm just going to say that if you do have sciatica, this might be one of the most aggravating things you can possibly do for it. So again, that's why it's really important to be able to understand yep. the kind of root of the uh, issue and then yep. uh, treat it accordingly. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and to answer your question, the 18-minute stretching routine is a nice, gentle routine. It will be very good for you. It covers the entire body, which I think is what you need. I don't like to compartmentalize these things. when you. It's very hard not to do that because you have this symptom that you want to just focus on. But quite often, it's doing something that you never thought would affect it that is the best release. And so I like to say... Um, just work on your entire body strength and flexibility and stay the course be gentle accept that it is going to be a process and uh you know trust in the process have faith yeah well just just on like whether or not it's a good idea to um you know train through the things i think one of the worst things you can do is yeah stop moving entirely if this puts you off any kind of training then um, your ability to dynamically control those, you know, having that active um, structures actually controlling your lower back, controlling your spine, like those muscles are not good. They're going to go to sleep and they're going to atrophy and, you know, get get smaller and um, and weaker. So it's so key to try and keep some general strength and movement. So if, you know, if this pathway either leads to you sitting more on the couch and watching more Netflix because of lockdown, you know, you can't go out for walks or whatever, versus, you know, getting in and doing some general strength training. Definitely doing some general strength training is the way to go. But again, uh, trying to do that in a way that you're not continuously aggravating this this nervy sort of pain. And I think it would be really worthwhile if you did just to try and get um, a bit more sort of an acute diagnosis, a, a more laser-focused diagnosis of what's going on there. So, Yep. Cool. we got one for Rad here. Uh, we'll get him out to break his silence over there. <laughs> this is from Northwest Taekwondo <laughs> Clubs, and uh, it's very specific to the way that you put the workout together uh, for warming up. And he said, hi there, I've purchased the 18-minute stretching routine and I was wondering, could you clarify something for me? In the video, you have the foam rolling sequence at the beginning, but you also mentioned it is a good idea to be very warm to get the best results. I was wondering, should I be rolling before the cardio? I would use it to get warm and then start from the squat routine. Yeah, there's different ways you can do it for sure. And a big part of um, training is finding out what works for you. Different things work for different people. So what I really liked about the 18 minute uh, stretching routine when we developed and when, when I was doing it daily and it's something that's just become sort of so ingrained in, in my brain and my movement that when I go down and do a little bit of a stretching routine, I, I just do a version of that routine that is right for me on the day and that's what I hope that everybody gets out of it is that it evolves into something that works for you and the reason why I really love that foam rolling at the start is because you can be you can be stone cold you could get out of bed and do foam rolling and there's virtually no chance that you're going to hurt yourself with that process but it also stimulates circulation can even elevate the heart rate just a little bit because of the, the nature of the way that you have to hold yourself up and position yourself when you do it. And it, it rolls into that um, the 18-minute routine uh, so nicely. But you absolutely could do the foam rolling first and then stop and then go and do one minute of 
uh, you know, high intensity cardio training like horizontal running to warm yourself up before you do those stretches. There'd absolutely be nothing wrong with that. And it would be very, very beneficial. So for sure, um, absolutely do that if you want to. Um, you could also do, you know, the high intensity cardio before you do the foam rolling. To answer your question, to be more specific, because I know that is more of a wishy-washy answer that I just gave you. If it was me and I wanted to do cardio before I did that 18 minute routine, I would definitely do the foam rolling first and then the cardio second. Um, because I find that, you know, especially in winter, in the winter months, when you do that warm up and then you do foam rolling, you kind of cooled back down again by the time you finish the foam rolling. But when you do the 18 minute routine, the nature of the way that you're standing up and getting down and moving around, that does keep your heart rate elevated more than the foam rolling does. So that's how I, I do it. I, it's bizarre. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I, I've worked extremely hard to turn that foam rolling sequence, uh, uh, um, foam rolling routine into a sequence of movement that doesn't stop yeah. and I became very good at it I, like I could continue through the entire thing without breaking the flow of movement on the foam roller by the end of it I'm dripping with sweat yeah. like I'm really warmed up mm. uh, but that took a little bit of practice the way you roll around and transition to the different body positions on the roller takes a little bit of practice you're not as hardcore as me though so <laughs> I mean it's, uh... I could see something coming there it was <laughs> brewing in his mind yeah no it's absolutely true you you know if you do that stuff properly you're going to get a great result from it and it really does warm you up and you know it, like we always say this is my philosophy my, and I know that my philosophy is different than other people's but um, I always say to start slow with what you do so that you can learn the movement and really understand how it is to get like the body positioning is a huge part of any new movement pattern that you do in any new sequence but as you get better at it something that is a sequence like a set sequence like the 18 minute routine the goal is to to start making it faster and more efficient. And I don't like the word faster because faster often, you know, people interpret that as, as try to go faster and lose quality. But that said, the 18 minute stretching routine is called what it's called because we used to do it in 18 minutes. And mm. I can do it so easily in 18 minutes and so can you and so can Richard and um, Phil, Phil probably can as well. But when people, so much. When, people do it for the, <laughs> when people do it for the first time, they're like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I can't keep up with this. And, and, and that's why I made the slower version that goes for 46 minutes. Because yes, I get that when you're learning it, like it's impossible to do it in 18 minutes and get you know good quality movement. But as you get better, you do it at a faster pace. And when you do it at that faster pace, man, are you warmed up by the end of it, you know? But anyway, look, going back to the question and the specifics of this question, what would I do? Yes, I would foam roll. Then I would do a minute, 60 seconds of cardio and then i would do the 18 minute return i think you're going to get a great result if you do it that way okay before we dive into some of the live mm -hmm. questions i want to just tackle vinnie browns here uh Jack, uh we are going to answer your question in a minute yeah absolutely Jack, we're going to and we'll get through all of them we'll get through all of them morning guys not sure how this happened during deload week but somehow i seem to have managed to tweak what i think is my hip flexor i love that you put what i think and you emphasize that because uh it's just yeah we try to really push you guys to think outside the square and get a proper diagnosis don't just rely on um dr google front of the hip on the left side i notice the pain when i do things like high knees or any lifting of the left leg really not a really sharp pain but an annoying pinch i've been doing the at-home workouts every day including the wednesday routine again on saturday admittedly and this might have been the cause i've been working my squat several times per day for about two to three minutes so i'm assuming just a body weight or an air squat nothing super strenuous but knowing i have a tendency to try too hard sometimes who doesn't perhaps that may have caused it any tips would be very much appreciated so i can hit the ground running for phase three first and foremost um uh Vinny, i thought i'd done my hip flexor a couple of weeks ago and, and when phil got into my tfl for a massage last friday it became more obvious that it was like that whole complex down through the hip there um, that was the the problem. Which I think was related to the fact that you've just, you know, got into running, uh, yeah, which is quite a different sort of thing. Exactly and that right. lateral hip kind of complex is very involved in single leg stance on, you know, yep. which is Yeah, that's exactly yep. right. It, 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 that's one of the good things about diagnosis and being good at it. Uh, you, you look at the thing that's changed the most and go, okay, what have I changed recently? And that's most likely 90% of the time caused the issue. Uh, so both of you guys can have a crack at this because Rad is a, an absolute, um, uh, he's got a lot of skin in the game when it comes to hips and hip flexors and, and things like that. And 
So does Phil. Yeah, I just want to get in there early and just say that um, often kind of people demonize the hip flexor and say it's the cause of all evil because of, you know, sitting down short and short. Oh, it blah. is the cause of but, all evil. Uh, <laughs> the pain you're feeling there when related to sort of end range squats, um, it's very unlikely a hip flexor yep. tear or anything like that. Because if you think about what tears a muscle, it's, you know, lengthening uh, ballistically or loading it really heavily. And you're not like your hip flexor is really, you barely ever do that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you go into a very aggressive lunge with weight, like, are you going to get it into that sort of explosive eccentric kind of work? And yeah. unless you're maybe a sprinter who's doing lots and lots of sprint training, you're like with explosive concentric action to do like, you know, hip drive, like, sorry, knee drive. Like it's very unlikely that you're loading your hip flexors that much. And, you know, it's, so what is more likely? big muscles too. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're really they're quite you know, small you've ever had muscles, a, a, but in the thickest point, they're like, yeah, tubes, it's man. a pork loin. If you've ever had like a one of those pork loins where it's like that kind of long, yeah. like you know, tube of muscle, like that's that's a psoas. Yeah, like they're long, thick, like yeah. they're very meaty muscles, and you're, you're very unlikely to have um, injured it there. So, um, what is more likely is that you've got some uh, basically effort, like anterior hip impingement if it's related to uh, going down into the into the squats, um, where basically it's that inability to control um, the anterior glide of the ball within the in the socket so i've talked about that a lot with shoulders um and we've talked about a bit with hip with um the fai stuff we've talked about with your um previous injuries but basically um with the any ball and socket joint we've got muscles that are the global movers so your hip flexor is one that you know is getting you up into interflection you've got your glutes going into extension and your you know, your glute media is going into abduction so we've got these big muscles that are controlling these big movements but what we've also got are um smaller like smaller muscles that help control to keep the ball in the middle of the socket and if we're not keeping the ball in the middle of the socket very well um when we use those big global muscles they're also going to pull the ball within the socket and close down that space within the joint um which going into hip flexion especially into like a you know going down into deep into a squat uh is going to cause basically the passive structures so um the bone and then the cartilage in your hips or your labrum um and your hip socket the uh, acetabulum you can get if you kind of have repeatedly done that through sports throughout your whole life, you can get slight sort of overgrowth of the um, the hip joint itself, and also the um, the thigh bone can actually like the the ball of the femur can also get uh, kind of bigger from repeated um, use, and so that's the most common thing for anterior hip pain is that FAI, um, yeah, where we're just basically not controlling our um, ball within the socket very well sorry yep. that was a bit wordy no so, um, so <laughs> i love i love phil's um use of uh you know anatomy the thigh bone i love when um, we get into these conversations and phil starts throwing out you know words like the thigh well, bone it's just totally not it with you know not useful for me to just be like no 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 latin latin latin, latin, latin no 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 latin. i love it i'm serious <laughs> i love it it's uh, it's yeah. it's really it's it's can be really frustrating sometimes when you're talking to uh, a highly educated person and all they're doing is throwing out these latin words at you and even as yeah. a personal trainer you're kind of sitting there listening to them nodding and trying to decipher everything that they're saying so no yeah it's really and good. i think it's something with Very health cool. professionals that like they really pushed us in our degree to you know, use terms that people understand because it's a way in which like I'm, I'm pretty big on the sort of power dynamics within healthcare and how that kind of results in, you know, kind of fairly unethical things in private healthcare, especially. And I think if, you know, you try and just like wow the person and make it sound like you're really smart, and you know exactly what you're talking about by just confusing them with Latin words, then that's like, you know, it's kind of unfortunately quite effective but also it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not helping it well, it's really funny because 16 years ago when yanni and me were uh, studying to, uh, our cert for in personal training do you remember that one of our instructors when we were doing anatomy said to us look if you guys can learn this well then when you go and see a physiotherapist or a chiropractor if you can talk you know shop to them yep. then they'll really respect you and you'll yep. get a lot of referrals and yep. then here i am with phil like you know thinking i know my stuff and he's like yeah the thigh bone and like you know it connects <laughs> to the knee bone and <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it is it is a shift where it's kind of you know you like you need to make it people understand the whole goal is to you know educate you guys on what how this stuff works so so what do you think Vinny's dealing with uh. yeah i think it's a, a common thing with people who get into 
a whole lot of squatting that they haven't, you know, maybe Weak done. Glutes. Well, he's but he's saying where he feels. So, if we go back to his question, he's saying where he feels it the most is where Let he where he raises the knee. So it, it is using the hip flexor in that in that motion. But he's saying he thinks he got it when he squatted. So it's it's likely that maybe it's just a, well, a small strain so, in the muscle. No, it's not a strain. Um, basically, see that's why we got Phil here. So <laughs> we're talking about all that sort of Shut down. active versus passive structure stuff <laughs> and the and a ball and socket joint. If we're um, if you say if you go into a uh, like a bodyweight squat, deep into bodyweight squat, you can imagine you're going like right into hip flexion. So you've now got, um, you know, your hip joint, you've closed down the space at the front because yeah. we're bending the knee up to mm-hmm. the hip in that, in that squatted position. So when you're in there and you haven't uh, had that much exposure to it and you maybe don't have like great control around there and maybe you've got some of this FAI stuff from a previous sporting life, then it's... Yeah, basically, it's an anterior oh, hip impingement. Got it so right. you've closed down the space <laughs> and you've you've aggravated these passive structures. Then, uh, you, so you can imagine like the uh, like the the joint itself is a bit irritated. Now, when you're um, doing anything where you're lifting your leg, you're actively you're activating your hip flexors, which is a those big global muscles that are going to lift the leg. But as I've talked about with ball and socket joints so much, is you also get the glide within the joint. So now when you're sitting there and you try and lift your leg, if you're, you know, driving is a really common one um, that I felt as well with this. When you're just doing those little activations of your your hip flexors, you're flexing your leg, so you're closing down that space and you're getting an excessive anterior glide because you have poor control through the stabilizing muscles in the back of your hip. So you've you've now Minus to everything. Sweet glutes. Sweet <laughs> glutes, man. Uh, but yeah, basically you've <laughs> aggravated these passive structures through the squat and now your lack of control is uh, getting more aggravation. So yeah. so there is a 99%, 99.9% chance that it's the piriformis here. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, yes. It is. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually but the one time where we can say that that's probably likely. But the other thing is there's six, there's six external yeah. rotators of the uh, posterior hip so that work like a rotator cuff. Vinny, Vinny yeah. are you, um, just remind me, are you a part of the UMS online coaching group? Because if you are, you've got access to our hip rehab program and that is going to be that's going to do wonders for you in this situation a piriformis uh strengthener what's he said vinnie brown right i'm guessing i should tread very gingerly with front splits for the next week or so yes i would say yeah so. well i mean like there's so much you can do with uh like you know hamstring stretching without going into f- and like in a range um hip flexion uh, so you can definitely keep working on the muscles it's just that i'm imagining like you're going to have an assess you but it's, it's a really common thing where just being in full flexion while the structures are aggravated is going to be um, problematic. So uh, try and, yeah, work on your um, the other muscles while without being in that end of range um, hip flexion. And then, yeah, try and build some more dynamic hip stability stuff, which, you know, single leg um, sort of work, uh, you know, balance sort of work where you're getting those external rotators of your hip, um, which just like the in the shoulder, um, help stop that anterior glide with hip flexion. Uh, Vinny, uh, let me know if you're in p- a part of the UMS um, online coaching group because you do have access to a cracker of a hip um, stability program in there. Uh, otherwise, we'll figure out how we can get... Th- we did a whole we did a whole week of videos on this on YouTube, didn't we? Yeah. I'm sure didn't we, we did. we do a whole bunch? I'm sure yeah. we did. But in all honesty, like those three rehab programs that we've created for, for either the hip, knee or shoulder... They are worth their weight yeah. in gold if you are suffering maybe from stuff like this. Maybe we should like do a this. bundle. It is really... A bundle um, flash sale. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, should we, because we're, we're well out of time, should we just answer a couple of these live yep. questions? Yep. So, Let's Jack... Go. Sorry, just really quick before we do. Um, I just had another... I just remembered with the tenosynovitis de Quervines, which we talked about right at the beginning, um, there was someone who was... Like, I love how helpful people are and getting on and answering questions, but someone was uh, recommending scraping jade... Scra- uh, jade stones doing um kind of the uh what what do you call it um grass like grassland technique sort of stuff basically getting in there with um a stone and and scraping the tendon um and that is the last thing you want to do with the tenosynovitis so um just for uh that decorvines if you've got something where you've got an aggravated um you know tendon sheath if you get in there with a stone and actively aggravate it with a stone that's going to not be great. Worse, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. did it have to be a jade stone or could I use a crystal? <laughs> Mate, I think can, I think it's referring to that tool that... Um, yeah, that, that Mick, Mick, Mick uses. Yeah, well, there's, yeah. there's these um, 
other ones that you get which are like these um really flat stone anyway but yeah similar to mick yeah don't do that don't do a mick yeah yeah <laughs> not with this not with this at least so jack um kinnikin has saying i'm doing rad's preston handstand masterclass and so close first thing i'm going to say is post some videos brother yeah. i want to see because that move when unlocked is a huge achievement let me see how you're going so we can help you um, I have problems with my left shoulder. It seems to impinge when I push and makes it hard to push into max extension. Any suggestions? First suggestion is you're not pushing into extension, you're pushing into flexion. Um, so, yes, Phil. So he's pushing, like it. he's pushing into max flexion and he's getting impingement on his... I mean, he could be kind of pushing back into extension, but yeah, you're probably, probably right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've just been talking about uh, the shoulder on my... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 3 p.m. How to not see me little show, which um, is something I'm doing on the UMS Mastermind uh, uh, it, of those afternoons. Um, it's a bit of work in progress. I much prefer talking to people in a conversation. So for those who have been watching and supporting, thank you so much. But yeah, I'm but is still- this a, is this a one of those the answers there? Just watch this show. Um, I mean, I moments? did. I've talked about it a bit, but I, I will. I just wanted a little, little plug, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm learning from. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say, let's let's <laughs> drive some people to um, those shows. But yeah, basically with what we're talking about here is almost exactly the same thing as I just rattled on about with the hip, um, with basically having uh, the inability to control the, or like a lack of control of a ball and socket joint. And the answer is building up um, strength and um, dynamic stability through your cuff in a functional sort of way. So uh, tricky, and I've talked about it yeah, in that, in that show a bit more about how important it is to um, train your axioscapular muscles, which are basically your, um, yeah, the muscles that control your scapula, which you guys do so much with your straight, straight arm strength workout. Mm-hmm. So really doubling down on that, uh, becoming very good at sort of lower trap activation, which is something that Aiden Potts chimed in about before, which I've got him on um, doing the active hang component of um, a hang. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so focusing on trying to draw your chest up, bring your shoulders back and down. Um, try that before you do your handstands. Do, um, you know, like 30 seconds on a, of active hang, contracting for three seconds, relax, contract, relax. The focus you want to have is trying to keep your upper traps totally relaxed through that. You want to keep your chest tall as if you're doing a, a chest bar um, chin-up. And trying to think about that when you go into the handstand so that when you're in that sort of elevated and protracted position that you've Although you're elevated and protracted, you also have the anchors of your lower traps keeping your axioscapular muscles um, stable, which will then allow your cuff to work more efficiently. So, yeah, yeah. Which again, again, I, I, I had to plug, but the shoulder rehab program is absolutely phenomenal at uh, at creating a, a periodized approach um, to that, um, that that Phil had a bit of an input in on creating. So yeah, that's uh, that that's a if you want to. A little bit more than that, check out that program. It's really effective. Um, so let's have a look at, uh, we are really running out of time here, so we will yeah, jump in Steve, quickly. I would definitely sign up for Yanni's uh, Soliloquy Underwater Masterclass to uh, help me with my live sessions. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? So Steve Cavanaugh just said, would Yanni do a, a talking slash Soliloquy Underwater Masterclass to help fill in his live sessions? <laughs> I would um, sign up. Paul <laughs> Shulmandeli is saying, hi guys, been doing the at-home workouts as much as I can with an apparent shoulder tendinosis. Um, feels probably going to say tendinopathy um, doing okay with it other than the pike push-ups which i stay away from any advice or should i still be doing the program or focus on something like the shoulder rehab routine if that would work for uh, tendinosis which is tendinopathy tendinopathy um so phil i mean it's probably the same kind of advice that we just gave there um yeah i guess we sh- when you say shoulder tendinopathy um there's generally two structures that people are referring to here either the um it's usually the supraspinatus tendon at the top of the shoulder here, or it's the bicep at the front here, which we've gone through before, is actually a tenosynovitis similar to the quervines. So it would be about being clear about which of those structures is impacted um, and whether or not it is in fact tendinopathy or you're just using that as a catch-all term for sore muscle bit. Yeah. So, because um, the rehab really changes, because remember with tendinopathies, we really want to load them heavily with tenosynovitis like this. We want to try and stop the friction, which in this case is having better posterior cuff control um yeah so it, it does really change and we need to be quite specific about this which is why it's um yeah good it's to not work a with someone yeah it's not a the shoulder is a is but, a really complex well it's joint. kind of funny because you like the specifics really matter for just like uh but the, the specifics matter but like a general approach is pretty good so i think if you're doing the um 
at home stuff and getting like good shoulder balance and you're following the right techniques at a cues and like that's a pretty good thing to do for the shoulder but when it gets to really focused shoulder rehab stuff like it, it does need a bit more specificity than that yep sorry Paul Cool. Well, look, I hope uh, I hope you all got something valuable out of that. I know that I always do. Uh, Phil is uh, Phil is the man that's taught me the majority of what I know about rehabilitating injuries and and how to deal with certain injuries, and he's been an integral part of um, of my ability to to get to where I am and do what I am with all the the niggles and injuries that I've suffered over the years. So if you didn't know, um, the, you know, you, you definitely want to jump on to the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, 3 p.m. Sydney, Australia time uh, chats that he does. And also um, go over and check out Switched On Physio. Switchedon.physio is the website. Switchedon.physio is the website. And for anybody that's listening that does have uh, anything that they would like a, um, a more specific diagnosis and action plan for, jump onto that switchedon.physio website and book an online consultation with Phil. I can tell you right now, there's a reason why Phil works with us, and it's not just because he was the physio that came and approached us. We have, Yanni and I have worked with a lot of people, and there is a criteria that we have to fulfill uh, before we um, recommend any practitioners to any of our tribe. Um, number one is that they're good at what they do. And number two is that they have some skin in the game, which means we're not interested in, in working with somebody that has all the textbook knowledge but doesn't actually you know, work on their own body, actively pursue sports and, and, a, and an active lifestyle themselves. So it's a big belief for us. Um, so Phil's an amazing person to work with. If you want to, uh, if you want to work with him a bit closer, go and check out that uh, switchedon.com physio and uh, get in there. Yep. And really appreciate uh, Aiden jumping in and giving me some ideas for what I could do on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 3 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time uh, show. Uh, definitely, it's a work in progress and I want to make it as useful for you guys as I can. So any tips or advice or things you'd really like to know about um, would help. And any interaction on the show will make it feel like I'm having a conversation, which would be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, it starts, it always starts like you're talking to nobody and it's just one of those people things, there. I'm just you, it, t- it just takes a bit of time <laughs> to get traction. That's right. People get used to it. Good work, everybody. Been a great show. Cracking mm-hmm. week. This is Friday for us in Sydney, Australia. So we're going to be signing off for the weekend, but we are going to post a podcast from the archive. Are you yeah, still I'll doing do that. that? Yeah. yeah, I haven't for the last couple of weeks, but yeah. I'll oh, get back on it. I was Sorry. looking through them today just going because the podcast, I'm, I'm getting lots of good feedback. So big shout out to everyone who's listening and downloading and subscribing to the podcast. We're really pushing forward on this and we're um, investing a lot in this studio. This is going to be a big part of our future. So uh, thank you very much for joining in and uh, special shout out to all of those who join us on the UMS Movement Mastermind where we stream the live recording. It's always some fun, get a bit of interaction, get to ask your questions and uh, generally just um, create the flow. Yeah. And yeah, uh, we crossed uh, 5,000 listens on uh, the podcast, which is really exciting. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Cool. If yeah, you haven't already, cool. and if you're listening, if you're, if you're watching the replay of this live recording on YouTube, make sure you get over to the UMS Movement Mastermind private Facebook group. Everyone's welcome. We just like to make sure that you are striving to level up and uh, you're not just there to spam and things like that. So you've got to agree to the code of conduct and uh, otherwise you are in. Um, everyone have a fantastic weekend to those of you in America, enjoy your work day tomorrow and, um, yeah, be healthy. Have a good weekend, everyone. See you soon. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. The gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.